Hey everyone, it's autumn, a time for harvest festivals and family reunions. And if you're planning on getting together with your family, you should protect yourself and them by getting an updated COVID vaccine. If you're 50 or older, you're at greater risk for hospitalization and death, especially if you have a chronic disease. So get an updated vaccine now. Need more information? Talk to a doctor. Find updated COVID vaccines at vaccines.gov. We can do this. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. I'm Batman. I love Fat Dad. (laughs) Fat Dad's hilarious. Always doing his thing. I'm Vengeance. I am the Knight. I'm Batman. You thought darkness was your friend. I was born in the dark. You're listening to The John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean-American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean, American, and more. And now, here's your host, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Welcome back to The John Chi Show. I am one of your hosts, Nathan Nowak, along with Patrick the Laughing Machine. (laughs) I'm, I don't know. He's he was laughing, so I didn't know what he was doing. But NKJ, how are you guys doing? NKJ. <laughs> I got a whole nickname and a little a little bit afterwards. And you yeah. were NKJ. NKJ. He's also here. Hello, and Sarah. Technically, my, my dear listeners, welcome to the show. <laughs> my dear listeners, I like that. Welcome back. <laughs> yeah, it's good to be back. Thanks for having me on, Nathan. Yeah, yo, no, you're welcome. Thanks for coming on. So, what's been going on since the last episode? <laughs> uh, I just I can't get out of my head like how we used to be like, "Hey, Patrick, what does John Chi mean?" <laughs> like that was like our fun, clever way of throwing to someone because we'd be like, yeah. "Yeah, we're just like all sitting around a table, like whatever." And so also in our later episodes, how we would fill an awkward pause right here at the beginning, like we're currently having. <laughs> There's oh, been sometimes yeah. like, and just what does John Chi mean, Nathan? <laughs> <laughs> John Chi, or sometimes rounds Joan Chi, is KJ's <laughs> new show. I don't know. <laughs> oh, no laughs. No laugh yes. track. That was John the perfect fill. That okay. was a good way to do it. But yes, John Chi, feast, celebrate. Korean adoption, Korean heritage. It only means one of those words. Other stories. (laughs) I know. We need multiple. He was doing a little word association. (laughs) It's a little, yeah. Yeah, you can see the word cloud being drawn as Nathan's speaking. The word tree. Amazing. Culture, heritage, environment, politics. We do celebrate all of those things, which I think is pretty much what it means. Yeah. It means to, it means to feast. feast. We, oh, we yeah, feast, feast on all of the things. Maybe right. maybe uh, in all of it. At some point, if listeners come to the live show in Dallas, they can find some junchy noodles to eat. Uh, Wait, what show in Dallas? Junchy noodles. So, Dallas what? has junchy noodles. <laughs> both of you had both of you had very different questions. Patrick was like, Wait, "What party?" <laughs> and Nathan was like, "Wait, what food?" <laughs> it's fine. It's this is this is who we are. We're great at this. We're, yeah, we're <laughs> we're professionals. We're good. It's you wanted good. this chaos. Uh, yeah, we got a live show coming up in Dallas, uh, October twenty second, right? Ten two 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 two. Okay, great. I was like, I said right, and then nobody answered. I was like, I hope I got that date right. October twenty second. Swig of water. Yeah, yeah. Come in, come in for the weekend. Uh, we got lots of fun things. It's like a whole. Uh, definitely on Saturday. It's like a whole day of events. Uh, so we'll have more more information about that soon. Uh, but what we're Very talking soon. about is two shows and dinner 
and some other stuff. That's like pretty much locked in. Yeah. Yep. yep. So that is pretty much yeah. locked maybe, in. And maybe some say. after dinner stuff. Maybe some that's after dinner. Not that's, that's not locked in. That's yet, a little bit. That's a little oh, bit more loose. It's gonna be in, in the saddle. Th- yeah, that might be the actual the IRL Johnchi Show after party. Uh, is the <laughs> oh there you <laughs> the go after dinner? Yeah, <laughs> it's the Dallas so. after party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that I'm excited about it. So I'm excited. We will definitely send more news. I mean, we're we're trying to just uh, solidify the hotel, the Carrollton uh, Courtyard Marriott. Um, so we're really hoping to get that uh, um, linked in uh, our notes so that we can give you guys all a uh, a place to go reserve rooms and things like that too. So <clears throat> very soon. Very yeah, soon. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say by the time you're hearing this, listeners, if you go to johnchishow.com slash live, you can see more information about the show. And if it's not there, then you should definitely yell <laughs> at all three of us. Yes. If it's not there, cancel us. Unsubscribe. <laughs> No, no, don't. don't do that. Please don't. Please don't Just, do that. Please forgive us. <laughs> Be angry, but also please forgive us. Yes. Just, Just hold, hold us accountable. accountable. Yeah, Jinx. exactly. Wow. Amazing. Um, Amazing. So, yeah, just, just some incredible updates in the life and times of the John G. Boys. Uh, speaking of life updates, Patrick, how's your trip to Korea prep going? It's going good. Um, tickets purchased. I'm assuming rooms booked because they're supposed to be doing that. Uh, have gotten no confirmation. <laughs> Just know where the hotel is. Um, also, recent, very recently, they announced that we don't have to pre-test negative to get on the plane, but I still will be testing before we leave. <coughs> um, still got to take a PCR when we get there. Totally understandable. Um, as of this recording today, I you have to f- apply for like a travel visa. Of some sort, like K E T A, I believe. And uh, that website is unfriendly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say it took me about probably 30 minutes just to get our pictures uploaded. So hmm. that was horrible. Um, other than that, most of it was just filling stuff in. Actually, the longest thing to, that it took me, on a part of it, it asked for your zip code. For where you're staying in Korea. Oh, uh, yeah. However, they do that. Do they? You can't type a zip code in anywhere. The bar is gray. You have to click on an unassuming button that is that says that says zip code. Then you go in and then you don't type in any numbers. You just type in the word, the name of the place that you're staying. And then you find it and then you click on it. Mm. Um, I will say there was a five digit number that did seem like a zip code. So... But that was very, very frustrating. But other than that, now that we've got that done, I'm pretty sure Emily and I both got approved. I don't have access to her emails because I'm not like that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Wow. uh, I got my approval, though, so I assume that she got hers. So we're going good. Um, You getting nervous? Yeah. I I just got asked this question the other day by somebody. Sarah Park Dawn and her family are going to be there. Um, And I was talking to Jeff via some messages and he asked me how I was feeling about it. And I don't know. I don't know that I'm nervous. I think that I think I'm worried that it's not enough time. Like it's so rushed and because it's so structured, which I do, I am grateful for, for the simple fact that I don't have to worry about any of those things. It does feel like you're getting in on the first day and I really only have a half day and then you have three days and then another half day and you leave again. And so it's, 
I don't know. That's that's probably my biggest worry at the moment. But um, I've got so much other stuff going on right now. It's just like mm-hmm. I'm just ready to get over there and just kind of be on vacation. Even though I know it's yeah. going to be like a super emotional vacation. Yeah. But you're just <laughs> like, I also, want, you're just like, but... I don't know, take me places, Korea. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. the, the, the headache of not having to, um, avoiding the headache, I guess, of having to organize everything, I think is going to be nice. That'll take yeah. uh, a big thing off your, your plate. And yeah, you can just enjoy what, you know, what they're taking you around uh, to see and what they're, you know, showing you and just meeting other cads, which I know you've already done, but, uh, Again, this will probably be your biggest, right? Your biggest uh, CAD gathering ever. So. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a uh, hundred. I think it's there, right? 150. Yeah. yeah. At least. Or almost. Yeah. Um, we did <clears throat> sign up for, I did sign us up for some painting class. Um, that's uh, one of the programs through the thing. They had a bunch. And the day that I got it, I was um, not at home. And so, and I couldn't fill it out on my phone and I was like, Oh, nobody's going to sign up for these so quickly. And so I was like, I'll get it when I get back home. Forgot about it. (laughs) And everything was, (laughs) everything was taken up, uh, all the cool stuff. But, um, I am excited to at least do one thing and, uh, have that experience. But I wonder if it's going to allow us more free time. That's kind of what I've, I, Mm -hmm. I talked to somebody the other day too, or, former guest, the honorable Jenna Antonowitz. And she was talking (laughs) about finding those extra moments to be able to kind of do whatever, you know, you wanted to do. And you really had, or at least on her, on her tour through me and Korea had a lot of those things built in, which was cool. And yeah, I'm hoping there's like debrief time too. And that's the thing. That's, I think one of the worries that I have about it being so fast is that there's not going to be any of that. And I'm just going to be left to carry all of this home and then have literally no time before I go to Dallas for the live show. <laughs> so I might just be a, a ball of tears um, and asleep the whole time that I'm here on uh, at the live show. Everyone who comes. But the good yeah. news is you have a 15 hour flight sure. in That's between true. those moments yeah. where That's true. you can definitely sleep and or debrief probably one or the other. I'm and just going to go. too. <laughs> I'm just going to kick the person's seat who I'm sitting behind and just scream, cry like a baby. And then yeah. they're going to turn around like, shut that baby up. They're like, oh, it's a grown man. Yeah. We, I can't tell them that. And they'll be like, <laughs> it's fine. It's for an episode of the John Chu Show. It's a podcast about, you, you don't understand. And he'll realize. He'll I'm realize. very popular. We have yeah. tens of listeners. He's like, oh, <laughs> you're Patrick from the John Chu Show? The dictator? The- or the interjector? <laughs> the interjector? That's what he'll say. The interjector? Like, oh, deep cut. <laughs> You You've listened to 101, listening. sir. You've listened yeah. to 101. I appreciate it. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> but yeah, I'm excited for it. So, but I think it's a good segue into mm-hmm. our guest and the interview that we have today. Um, we were very blessed and privileged to have Darcy Middlesat on the show. She is a fellow Texan. The South Texas. Currently yes. a fellow current <laughs> Texan, I'll say. Well, anyways, Darcy shared a lot. <laughs> Darcy shared a lot of her story with us. A lot of uh, really powerful, vulnerable things. Um, we talk about her upbringing and her of, of navigating white culture as an Asian adoptee, Korean adoptee, as we have talked about many times. Talking about going to college and really discovering, um, specifically the Korean side, but also a different world culturally than she had experienced. Uh, in childhood and then we dig a lot into her trips back to korea and how she got 
uh, to those points. And I guess I spoiled a little bit, but she's taken more than one. Um, but those were really insightful and really helpful for me when we had this conversation because it was like in the planning stages of going back to Korea had kind of just finalized a lot of this. And um, yeah, I think it's a really good conversation for anybody here, especially anybody thinking about going back and the different reasons you could be taking that trip. So, yeah. 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 Without further ado, <laughs> roll the tape. Roll it. Welcome back from our Adless ad break. It is the John Shee Show. Continuing on with this episode with our interview. Today we have with us as our guest, Darcy Middlestat. Darcy, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. We are so, so excited to have you on. Um, just so I know, where are we talking to you? Like, where in the world are you? So I live in New Braunfels, Texas, which is right in between Austin and San Antonio, right off the I-35 corridor. That's awesome. I This is not part of the interview. This is a pre-interview, but I just want to say <laughs> I grew up hanging out in New Braunfels a lot. Uh, my, parent, my grandparents had a lake house down on Lake McQueenie. Uh, so uh-huh. I really, really love that area. So that's awesome. My sister and I were just Did like, you go to the Slitabon? I don't, I think we did one time, but okay. like, that was like, we were like, we're here to be at the lake. Why would we go stand in lines when we got a whole Or did you go to tubing down the Comel or go out of Lupe River? Um, I don't think I went, I don't think I ever went to, I did, okay. I did a, uh, a float, well, no, a kayaking trip on the Guadalupe later in life. Okay. This is not part of the interview. This, let's jump into the interview. <laughs> I don't think you've never even like, been there. I don't know. This makes me want to go down and visit uh, Texas. New it's a great part. It's, Come it's, on New Braunfels is a great part. Yeah, it's it's awesome. It is. Uh, there's lots of places to go. Lots of great German towns. And uh-huh. yeah, so anyways, okay, Darcy, this is about you. This is about your adoption story and everything, wherever the wind takes us from there. So will you kick things off by telling us your adoption story in as much or as little detail as you would like? Sure. Thank you. So my Korean name is Lee bok I was born in Weejangbu, South Korea in 1972. I was um, found abandoned, according to the paperwork. You know how that goes. I um, was not adopted until the age of two and was told that I couldn't come over to the States until I was healthier. I guess I was um, not in good health conditions there. Um, so I was in the orphanage, Yangju's baby's home. And actually during the pandemic, I found some of my um, p- friends who were in the orphanage. So I've connected with several adoptees who were in the same orphanage at different times. So it's been kind of cool. Um, I was adopted into a white home in rural Nebraska. Um, my adoptive parents, German, my dad, and my mom is Danish, Swedish, Um, we grew up in rural Nebraska, small town. I am the oldest of four. My brother is also Korean American adoptee. We're not blood related. Uh, we both were adopted through Dillon International in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I have two siblings, two sisters who were adopted, um, domestically. They are mixed and we grew up in a small rural area in Nebraska, I, my parents divorced uh, when I was about 11, 12 years old, grew up in a very dysfunctional home after learning a whole bunch of stuff about um, dysfunctional families, Um, went to college in a small town, um, Fremont, Nebraska, Midland University, 
I graduated from Midland, then went on to uh, work at Boystown, Nebraska. Don't know if you all know where Boystown is and what that is. It's an at-risk facility for teens who um, get in trouble. And Mm -hmm. we teach social skills to them. Um, Then from Nebraska, I moved to Arizona and lived there for 15 years. And then um, just four years ago, moved to Texas. Uh, My adoption story is actually, I don't remember a lot about my growing up years. And part of that is maybe because I repressed some of it just because it was so dysfunctional. I remember the divorce. I remember some of the um, uh, abuse that happened. It was both emotional and physical, mainly Um, very um, controlling, authoritative parents. Um, Don't remember very much other than didn't, I was in a white uh, culture, so didn't have any other people of color around me. Uh, school didn't have anybody of color. Uh, grew up in a country school. Grew up in a country church. Went to a small town high school. Um, it was in college then where I really found that there was more people of color around me. And actually, it was well, it's not funny, but it is sort of funny. I would get stopped in the hallways and asked if how come I knew. Uh, American or English so well. People thought I was an international student. Um, So at that point, I'm like looking at them like, why? I didn't quite understand. But now looking back into all the microaggressions and just uh, some of those, I was not educated in in terms of racism when I was growing up. Uh, My family never talked about it. I knew I looked different, um, but my brother was Korean. So we both both looked alike. My two sisters are black, white. So I just didn't know anything different other than everybody else in our uh, country school and church and everything was all white. We just thought we got along with everybody. Um, Did not grow up in um, like having a lot of friends because we just didn't, we were in the country. So we were kind of isolated out there. And my parents just never took the time to take us uh, to have playmates and, you know, have friends over when we never were allowed to go over to friends' house. So I kind of feel left out, um, socially awkward, you know. I did a lot of growing up pretty fast and a lot of growing up learning a lot in um, college. Went through a lot of therapy, but feel like I'm out of all that. Really started coming out of the fog, I would say, during college. Did a lot of um, adoption, searching, and interviewing my adoption agency, um, asking questions about my file, went to Korea twice. I went in 2001 and in 2016. I tried to do birth searches both times. No luck. I've done my DNA tests um, here in the States, have not done it over in Korea. I would like to go back and try that, um, see if anything, but nothing came um, as of that uh, now anyway. Um, I do want to go back to Korea. I would like to go on my own to Korea this time around and do just experience Korea on my own rather than a birthland tour. So that way I can go, you know, to the police station if I want to um, do a DNA, DNA search. I want to go back to Wejongbu where I was found. I want to go back to the uh, Dongdushan. That's where the orphanage was. Um, the orphanage is no longer standing, but the site is there. Um, and actually, a couple of my Korean adoptee friends who were in the orphanage, we all want to go back together. We thought that would be a cool trip to go back together. Yeah, that, for sure. I just, want to exp- I just want to explore Korea more on my own. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's beautiful. 
Well, thank you so much for for sharing that and giving us that overview. Um, I'm going to jump back to early days real quick, and I'm just kind of curious. Um, I know that you said that you started coming out of the fog in terms of um, adoption stuff in college, but growing up in a family where all of your siblings were adopted uh, internationally and domestically was like, what was that dynamic like just in terms of like, was that a thing that y'all talked about really? Or was it just like a, it was like a a fact of your life and you moved on? It was more of a fact of a life and we moved on. I do remember asking some questions and I remember my siblings asking questions about Mm -hmm. being adopted. Um, We knew we didn't look like anybody else and we knew we were from, you know, we just didn't know where we were from. And um, I think our parents told us where we were from, like we were born in Korea, Um, but we did not, they did not share a lot with us. We did not do any Korean heritage things. So being in Nebraska and then the adoption agency in Oklahoma, which I have no clue how my parents found that um, through Oklahoma uh, by being in Nebraska. My parents, I know when I came over, they had to come to Chicago to pick me up at Chicago O'Hare. So I was escorted over as a baby. And same with my brother. He was escorted over and they picked him up in Chicago as well. So to me also. Oh, really? I also went through, yeah, I also went through Dylan and also went through Chicago also. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. All right. Well, that's for another later Chicago episode, too. but <laughs> there, there might be, yeah, there might be a specific route, I guess, that the planes that they always took, maybe, and then maybe there is, maybe there was something specific about that. I don't know. It's a, yeah, that's definitely something to look into, I guess, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Well, so uh, my next question, I guess, is like, what's the thing that started you on the journey of? like kind of reckoning with race and adoption. I assumed that like, I mean, just based on kind of my own experience, like adoption just kind of being in the backdrop of your life. It kind of makes sense. You go to college, you're like, oh, I've got some, I've got some independence. I'm going to do some research, you know, whatever, maybe uh, access to resources you may or may not have had, you know, previously. But what was, um, what was the thing that like made you think about, like, was it just kind of those like, oh, I didn't like, was it just seeing other people of color that made you think about your own Asianness, or like, what was that journey like? Um, no, it was actually, it's pro- I would say it was probably started in high school a little bit more of identity. I mm. was like questioning who I was and really wanted to know more about my adoption and where and really wanted to do a birth search. Um, I wanted to see who my biological uh, mom was just because I wasn't getting along with my adoptive mom. Um, but then in college, I had an assignment, psychology assignment, because I was a psychology major. Um, and it was to write an autobiography. And one of the first questions was to, if I was adopted, to try to look into the adoption story to get some more facts ahead of time. Why did my parents want to adopt? Do I know where I came from and who and what the story of my biological parents, you know, stuff like that. And I knew nothing. Again, like I said, I grew up and we just did not talk about adoption. We didn't talk about where we came from. Um, and so when I asked my parents, they had no clue. Um, they, My mom at that time and I were not talking, so she wouldn't answer any questions for me. My dad couldn't remember what agency I was adopted through. Um, my two siblings were adopted through uh, Lutheran Social Services in Nebraska. I remember that because I, when my younger sister was adopted, I um, remember going there and picking her up. So I called Lutheran Social Services and I asked them, you know, could you give me some information on my adoption? And they uh, said on the phone, you're not adopted through us. You're adopted through Dillon International out of Tulsa, oh. Oklahoma. And I'm like, where is Tulsa, Oklahoma? Because I <laughs> 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 um, 
So I, I got online and I, uh, I found them and I called them up and I said, um, this is who I am. I'm Darcy Middlestead. I am doing a college assignment. I wanted to know a little bit more about my adoption. I come from a very dysfunctional home who is not sharing, my adoptive parents aren't sharing any information. What can you share with me? And actually to, I was quite surprised because um, the person I talked to, which I don't remember the name that now, had said, oh, let me put you in touch with um, the executive director at the time, which was the co-founder, uh, Denise Dillon. And mm -hmm. um, she actually invited me to come down to Dillon International um, for a weekend. And I got to tour their offices and sit down with them with the file, uh, my file. And they shared some of the information that they could share with me. Um, so I got some of my questions answered that way. Once I shared my story with them about the dysfunctional family growing up, they felt pretty bad about it, um, which is interesting because, you know, a lot of people would say, aren't you mad at the agency for putting you in a placement of a um, not good home? But I said, you know, at that time in the early 70s, they were just starting their agency. And so um, they probably didn't know, they didn't have as much resources as they have now, you know, of knowing how, what home studies they need to do. And still to this day, Jerry and Denise Dillon, the co-founders, have said to me, they wish they would have um, found out who the home study person was and read over my home study before my parents adopted. Mm. It's Which nice I thought that they... was yeah, I think that's really interesting. I mean, it's nice that they would uh, still to this day admit that to you and and be trying to hold themselves accountable to what had happened. Um, I'm interested. I think it's interesting to know that you kind of like you got this assignment and it's like spurred you to action and you just kind of took it and you and you ran with it. And I know like going to college was the first time that you really started to step outside of what was your home life growing up. Um I'm interested, or I'm, I'm curious to know, did you have, had you started to form a support system once you got to college and you started to experience new things? And then did you have a support system when you were going through this process of like uncovering information about your adoption, interacting with the adoption agencies? Because it seems like a lot. And I think about trying to do that now with all of the different avenues and accesses that we have. And it's like, it still seems overwhelming. I, it feels like it would be extremely overwhelming you know, earlier on without, with, with, with much less access. What was that? Did you have a support system or were you going at it alone? I was actually going at it pretty much alone. Um, I had some friends, but they didn't understand what adoption was and they didn't mm. understand me. I was just getting to know them. Um, I, since my adoptive parents weren't supportive of that, I had a couple other adult um, mentors in my life, but I never thought to reach out to them to ask to say, hey, I'm doing this. So I kind of did it on my own. And actually looking back at it now, and and I don't know how I got through that. I really don't. Because I think what I did is took it all in and just kind of stuffed it and mm. didn't really think anything about it until just, again, recently, probably within the last five years or so. Um, but when, so I was in college in 91 through 95. So that's when I kind of did all that research and stuff. I also got invited to come down and do the Korean heritage camp and the discovery days for the teens. Mm. So I did that because I'd never done that growing up. Um, and then was invited into uh, going on a homeland tour. And then I joined them on the homeland tour in 2001. 
So went to Korea for the first time with them. That was overwhelming. And I went by myself. I didn't have where um, the other adoptees who were a little bit younger all had their adoptive parents go with them. And I was by mm. myself. So that I wish I had another adult or somebody else to talk with and unpack. And yeah, and I, to be honest, don't remember much about that trip. I mean, just bits of pieces of, you know, yeah, we went here. Yeah, we saw that. Yeah, we did that. Yeah, I went to the orphanage site. But as far as the emotions and taking it all in, it wasn't until my second Korea trip that that meant more. Yeah, I was going to ask what that what what the difference was because I, I mean I remember like I was young when I went back to Korea myself, and it was like it was like a fire hose of just like it was like sensory overload for all five senses plus like my own emotions and my my brain. it was it was a lot and I remember like specifically you know kind of moments and highlights and whatever, uh, but I was like. If I tried to like trace my steps, I would have no ability to do that. Um, and, and for you, I mean, that's that's what, 15 years between the first time you went mm-hmm. and then the second time you went. Like what was the, like, I guess what changed in you and how was the second Korea trip different than your first time? So the second one was a lot more meaningful and I felt like I got some closure in some questions that I had about myself and my race and my identity the first time it was just as you said, a fire hose. Just I, I like plopped down into Korea and looked around and felt like, oh my gosh, I look like everybody else. And then when people started talking Korean to me, I had no idea, couldn't speak it. Yet when yeah. I started speaking English, they look at you funny because they're like, why, why are you here if you're, you know? But <laughs> I felt comfortable because I looked like everybody else, um, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet I felt uncomfortable because I had no clue where to go and how to navigate. Luckily I had the tour guide and the, um, Duck Young, the social worker went with us to help translate and stuff. Um, I just remember soaking in the, the food, the music, the land, you know, and all the sights of that. Um, and then when we went to Eastern Social Welfare Society, where that, the agency that Dylan partners with, that was an uh, emotional time. And I do remember that seeing the babies all lined up on the second floor in the nursery. I do remember that and thinking to myself, you know, I was one of those probably laying there like that. Um, and then um, trying, I remember sitting down with a file with the social worker in Korea with Duck Young and going over the file. And yet there's nothing in my file. It was pretty thin and wondering, you know, what, Where's my life story? I don't know my before. Um, there's no answers to that. The second time I went and sat again with the file, by that time, I had heard lots of stories about how files were like um, messed up or things were not, were kept out for, you know, reasons, um, just, you know, all that. And so then I wondered, is this my true file? <laughs> What's in it? Is this true? Really true or not? You know, and so I did, you know, a lot of questioning. And yet they said what I didn't appreciate or like was I couldn't touch the file. I couldn't get copies mm-hmm. of the file. I, I mean, in Korea, they just won't let you do any of that. The, the social yeah, worker had rough. to sit there and read everything off to you or and then translate it, you know. And basically, it's the same thing that Dylan told me, you know, whatever. Um, so, I mean, so the stories were the same pretty much. But it was just, it, it was, um, I was disappointed because I was hoping that there's more or I was hoping that something else came up with that. But th- what 
the difference was between the first trip and the second trip was one, I was more mature. Two is I had learned a little bit more about adoption and Korean American and, and really uh, understanding adopt, the adoption agencies and um, in itself and coming out of the fog a little bit. And then uh, the purpose that I went the second time was also to try to do a little bit more birth search if I could, but then to understand, you know, okay, this is probably going to, might be my last time coming back to Korea. I wasn't sure. Mm. Um, and saying, okay, this is who I am. I'm just going to accept how I came and, and don't know my biological roots or anything, but know that I assume my birth mom, you know, does remember me because we heard from the birth moms at the Eastern. They say that they uh, always remember their children when they give them up for adoption. Um, so that was a little, I felt that as a, a good closure type thing. Like I said, the first trip, I don't remember a lot. And part of that is I think I was coming out of my own dysfunctional family. It was pretty fairly new. Uh, my first time in Korea, um, traveling overseas, I think that was my, no, that was my second time overseas. Um, and just kind of, yeah, it was just so much. Yeah. So much. So I have a follow-up to that kind of that gap between your first trip and your second trip. So like you said, you know, you're coming off of that first trip, not a lot of solid memories that you have and maybe not the greatest time. And I'm wondering in between then and then 2016, when you were able to go again, were you able to start building community within like the Korean adoptee community or within maybe the Korean American community? Was that something that also you were able to start mm -hmm. building, which helped or led into that second trip? Yes. Uh, yeah. Thank you for pointing that out. Yes. Because um, when I went in 2001, I was still in Nebraska and I was um, just out of college and didn't really do anything with Korean American adoptees, didn't know anything about it. And didn't, you know, I mean, just other than my research of studying who I was and my adoption stuff. When I moved to Arizona from um, Nebraska, I was uh, felt like I did a 180, 360, whatever, and totally became really healthy and, and just kind of came into myself and got connected with the Korean American adoptee group down in Arizona. There was also another agency down there called Dillon Southwest, which was a, um, a anchor out of Dillon International. And I was invited in to sit on a panel of adoptees mm. and talk with adoptive parents. So I got connected in through that way. And then I got, because I was in the Phoenix area, Phoenix has a Korean adoptee uh, community. So I was invited really? into that. Mm -hmm. huh. and I'm going to so, have to go fly um, and see my family and tell, talk to them about it. <laughs> like, hey, fam. Um, and then was connected through them. And we uh, we tried to do monthly things. And then I hung out with some of them. And yeah, that was cool. So I think you're right that... By having that type of community really led me to understand more about the Korean American and being adopted. And I had more interest and understanding of that. So that's probably also a reason I was more mature in that too, and more interested in that. Nice. Well, I applaud you for doing all the, the connecting with uh, Dylan um, agency, because I, I knew I was adopted through Dylan, but I never really did any um, attempts to connect to them through high school or even college. Uh, and I just, didn't really want to be involved at all with them. Um, but sometimes I think back and I wish I had, I wish I had contacted them sooner to see, for example, another one of our guests, uh, Jennifer Patel, she actually went to some of their, uh, uh, you know, their heritage camps and things like that. And I didn't even know those were going on. 
Um, are there things that you learned through uh, about Dylan agency? For example, the the Dylan Southwest. Yeah, I didn't even know that until you just told me right there <laughs> as well. Are there other things that you learned? Are there other things that you wish they had done, um, you know, differently or that you had learned about sooner from them? Oh, absolutely. I wish, um, and maybe my parents did know and they just didn't let on to know, but I really wish I knew about the Korean heritage camps and the discovery days. And they were doing them, I think when I was younger and, um, but my parents never invited us. We never went and was a part of that. I wish Dylan would have reached out at more intentionally to parents, adoptive parents, and just, you know, to try to encourage their, um, the education of that. I know it's much better now than it was then. And yes, you learn from your mistakes and you learn. Um, I wish that um, the there is a lot that people don't know about. And it's weird how you stumble upon these things when you find out about it. I don't know how you can get agencies to help um, equip adoptive parents or even adoptees to let them know about the different um, connections and networks so that way you feel some community with some people. So I, I wish there was some more of that or opportunities to do that. And instead of us reaching out and doing all the work, you know, why couldn't they, yeah. wh- why is it always people of color and, uh, and all of us having to do all the hard work when yeah. the white culture, you know, isn't doing anything, you know, to kind of, you know, help that out. Right. Or I, I don't know. It's just kind of <laughs> yeah. I mean, as far as I know, I I don't think my parents were getting a you know a yearly or annual mm-hmm. newsletter or even like, information about these camps. Does anybody yeah, have a tripod? There's a post pamphlet call or something. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, any information or or even I mean, yeah. There, there's a lot of things that I wonder that uh, was definitely lost um, in communication after after you know a child is adopted and. That's it. And I, I just exactly what you said. It's, it shouldn't be our responsibility. It should be the adoption agency's responsibility to follow up. So, so going off of um, you building community in this gap period and then post coming back from uh, your second trip to Korea and continuing on, um, you've talked a lot about having to navigate two different cultures, essentially white culture. Mm-hmm. And then as you, um, as you com- or create and, and engage with community and the Korean community, specifically in the broader Asian American community, that culture as well. Um, what ways did you find yourselves or did you find yourself navigating those two things? Because I think something that I can really resonate with in your story is, you know, even though we've had two different experiences in childhood, I think, the the overwhelming similarity is really the internalization of white culture within that growing up space and then getting thrust into a new situation in college and trying to tra- have to figure that out. And that's where our, our stories have a, another differing path is you were able to lean into that a little bit more, whereas I stayed uh, only navigating one side and refusing to, tr- to try and figure that out. I was wondering how did you find yourself navigating those things and then how did th- how did that change? as you started to not only get more active in Korean culture and immersing yourself in that, but actually getting to Korea and going beyond that. Yeah. I growing up, I just pretty much was the white and that I acted white and I assimilated with everything and did everything, you know, not really realizing that there was anything different. 
Um, then when I went to college and kept getting kind of these microaggressions and started questioning, like, where is this coming from? What am I really weird? Am I different? What's different about me now? Then um, having some conversations with uh, my friends and some of them were people of color and then others were just white. And my white friends would tell me, you're not Korean or you're not Asian, you're white. And because they said, you speak English well, you like all the American food, you do all the American things, you know. And so I just didn't pay too much attention to it until I got to my assignment I had to do. Then I'm like, wait a minute. No, I look Asian. I really want to know more about my Asian culture and heritage. And um, and I think part of that was the identity. I was trying to find something to belong, a sense of belonging somewhere. Um, and then, um, so I would go back and forth and sometimes I would want to say, I'm totally Asian. I want to be in the Asian community. And then other times I like, nope, push that away. And I want to be all white and just hang out with my you know, friends and just, you know, assimilate to all that. It wasn't until, um, the, before the second trip and real actually in Arizona where I was really, um, resonating more with my Asian-ness and was really wanting to uh, search that out and really feel more of that. And I just felt more comfortable with myself being more Asian. So I really tried to find Asian friends. I tried to hang out, um, Facebook groups. I tried to, you know, whatever, do all that. While knowing that I was living in the white culture. So like when I work, go to Mm. work, I was totally white and doing everything in the white Mm. thing, you know, the whiteness until the pandemic hit. When the pandemic hit and we had to isolate and do all this and all this, you know, craziness of the um, anti-Asian hate and all the other stuff um, and kind of pushing that more toward the front, I really started trying to figure out, okay, do I pick one side? Do I do I just stick with my Asian side and really hone into that and lean into that and that's who I want to be? Or do I just stick with my white and be safe and, you know, and do all that? When the shootings happened in Atlanta, um, I did have a couple people, friends, call me and check in on me, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, that was amazing. But then on the other hand, it got me to thinking more. And I was like also looking behind me. I run. I go running Mm. in the mornings. Uh, So I was always looking behind, making sure. Um, And being in Texas, too, you know, people were like concerned. Are you sure you're okay? You know, oh, and I have another story in a minute. But anyway, um, um. I decided to call some of my friends, my white friends, and ask me, hey, I just have a weird question for you guys. Do you see me? How do you see me? That's what I asked. How do you see me? And they looked like, Mm -hmm. yeah. And they said, what do you mean? I said, how do you see me? And they said, well, we see you as a white American. And I said, really? And I said, why? Well, because you like American food, you do this, you hang out with us and you know, whatever. I said, but do you, what do I look like? You know, my appearance. Well, you're Asian. I said, yes, I'm Asian. I said, I'm Asian. My appearance is Asian. Just because I was adopted into a white family and assimilated into the white culture, I'm still Asian. So I consider myself, if somebody asked me, are you Asian? Are you American? I do say I'm Asian American because I live into both. But what's funny is I do find myself, and I was just telling somebody the other day, I think I do act differently when I'm with Asian people. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Then I, oh, yeah. Then I do when I'm out with hanging with my white friends or whatever, or just other people, <laughs> whatever. I don't know. I don't know. It's You've just like weird, slowly but I, learned how to code switch. 
<laughs> that's what, yes, yes, that's what it is. That's what it is. But back, but that's what, yeah. So I do, I go back and forth and I think I lately within, since the pandemic, I do do, do a lot more of that code switching. And yeah. That. Do you, your time in Arizona, were you still working for the church? I was. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was I, in a congregation. Okay. A gotcha. white congregation. Yeah, all white congregation. It's so, yeah. It's so interesting when you're in church spaces, there was a, there's like, I don't know, some Instagram account that I was, uh, I think it might've been Dirty Rotten Church Kids or something. I don't know. But mm. it was like, it was a meme that had, po- had popped up and it was like, they were, everyone was at a ball game sitting in a row and like, it was like the whole church staff and then that one Asian guy. And I was just like, ah, yeah, that's so many church staffs in America where it's like mm-hmm. all white people and like that one Asian person or like all white people or that one black person or all white people. And then like the one Hispanic pastor, you know, like whatever. And yeah, it, it, it is. It's so simple. And I, I had a similar experience where I was in a meeting and uh, the guy running the meeting was like, we're all white here. And I was just like, no. And he was like, oh, <laughs> yep. And, I, you know, and it's just like, yeah, it's it's amazing how on the one hand, like learning essentially like when you're an adoptee, when you're a transracial adoptee like us, you have to learn what it means to feel racism because like our racism radar just doesn't exist. And then it's like, yeah, but like, and it's, it's easy to fall into the trap of because we were raised in a white family and we were raised in predominantly white spaces that like white people just assume things about us that we don't even know to push back against ourselves because we're like, well, that's, that's all we have. Yeah. Oh man, that's, that's super relatable. And I, I do think it's, I don't know. I mean like not that, not that like white uh, proximity, you know, and white adjacency doesn't happen in other places, but I think mm-hmm. it is especially poignant in the church and, and it's like a, a specifically like just a hard, um, but a necessary conversation, especially in that space because of some of the other trappings of yep. broadly, maybe religiosity and Christianity in yep. America. But yep. yeah, that was interesting when I was like, I bet this happened in a church situation. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So the reason I brought this up is because um, during in 2020, I don't know. Um, so Dylan International had put out on Facebook. They they have a Facebook page, by the way. They put out on the Facebook page to all the adoptees and adoptive parents that um, we should make sure that all the adoptees have their naturalization papers, mm-hmm. um, just so in case you know they just weren't sure in this country what was be happening. So um, I remember looking and ask, you know, checking to make sure that I had my uh, naturalization paper because I don't have a birth certificate. I never was given one. They never created one. Um, And so when I went to all my files, paperwork stuff, I did not find my naturalization paper. But I do remember a picture of me when I was little with an American flag and a naturalization certificate. So I'm like, I have to have it somewhere. So I called mm-hmm. my adoptive parents and they have no clue. And they're like, well, we gave you everything. And I'm like, no, I don't have it. I called the adoption agency, Dylan. They're like, no, we don't have anything. So, you know, you need to find, you need to get it. So I'm like, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to get it? So they said to call the social security office first and then go through USCIS. So I called the social security office and they tell me on the phone, they said, Oh, we show that you were not a citizen of the United States until 1986. I said, wait a minute. Um, I was born in 72. I came to the States in 74. I have a picture that on the back, it says 1975 with me holding a naturalization paper and an American flag. 
that doesn't make sense. And they said, well, that's what our paperwork shows. It's 1986. You were an um, American citizen, became an American citizen. So I thought that's weird. So then it dawned on me, I think that's the year my parents divorced. And so they right away, you know, wanted to make sure they get all their paperwork and decks in the order, whatever. I don't know, maybe. So I called USCIS and I said, how am I supposed to get a, a copy of my naturalization paper? And they said, well, you have to fill out these forms and pay the money and, you know, whatever. And, um, and try to locate it that way. So I did all that. And I go into the I had to go to the USCIS office, do all the fingerprinting and the interviews and all that stuff. And they looked up in their thing and they're like, well, we sure don't see anything. You know, they looked in Nebraska. They looked, you know, whatever. So they had me fill out some more paperwork and uh, send it off wherever they need to send it. Finally, six months later, they gave me a certificate of citizenship. It wasn't the actual um, naturalization. I don't think the original, but um What's weird is I had a passport because I went to Korea in mm -hmm. 2001. I went to Europe in 2000. Um, I wanted to know, I must have gotten, well, I know I got the passport before 2001, 9-11. Um, so I must not have had to show much to get that passport because I didn't have well, a birth certificate. Yeah. I'm wondering if it flagged you because you had... Or in their system, they had you registered as having received citizenship at a specific time. Did your newly issued certificate of citizenship have, was it postdated to that 86 date? Or did, was it like just 2000 just or whatever 2020. It was? <laughs> wow. Oh. And that's huh. very interesting. All right. That might be a topic for, that's probably a topic for another conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. That's very interesting. Yeah. Patrick is like, let's talk about the ineptitude of the U.S. government for a second. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, that's yeah. yeah, that's very interesting. All right, yeah, Nathan, go for, ahead. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Shoot, um, no, so, um, yeah, I just wanted to follow up into, you, you know, you said you moved to Texas from um, Arizona. Uh, what uh, what did you move to Texas for? What, was it a work-related uh, Yeah, move? work. Yeah, my job. Okay. My what job do you here. do now in Texas? So I'm, I serve on the judicatory staff of the um, – the ELCA Lutheran Church of the Southwestern Texas Synod. So uh, all of our territory is from uh, Austin, north of Austin, Georgetown, all the way down to McAllen, Texas, all the way west to almost um, Eagle Pass, Laredo, and almost Stockton toward that way out west, Texas. So um, and has, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, when you moved, um, did you also start looking for a, uh, um, a Korean adoptee group like you did when you moved to Arizona? I did. Um, I found one in Austin and I found one in San Antonio. Um, and I went to a couple of them in Austin. The issue is that I live in New Braunfels and I-35 corridor traffic has grown oh, immensely. Sure it's, it's and it is, <laughs> it is the worst. And so, and I travel a lot for my job anyway, all over the state. By the time I'm done traveling, I get home and I'm so dead exhausted that I don't mm -hmm. want to go out again. Um, so I've only been to a couple, but I'm on Facebook with them. Um, and they, you know, I get invited to stuff, but I, I, I know I could go if I have open you know, time and space. And then San Antonio one meets, you know, every so often. I have not been to the San Antonio one, but I'm hoping to do that. I am hosting a family adoptee for Dylan down here in Texas, um, in New Braunfels at the end of September. So oh, cool. we'll see how many families show up for that. Um, 
but I'm not as connected down here than I was in Arizona. And part of that is I'm more connected virtually um, mm. just because of the pandemic. I was mm. able to connect with a lot of adoptees from all over rather than just Texas. Um, so I, I feel more connected virtually than I do locally right now. I'm interested in how your journeys through adoption and your adoptee identity and connecting with community has intersected with not only navigating and uh, intersecting with white culture and, and, and white communities and your Asian and Asian American communities, but with your work in the church. I know that we talk about faith and Christianity specifically being having a, a weird and intertwination with adoption. I don't think that's a word, but um, it's how enough. those it's things, fine. how those two things have kind of been in or in, or I'm not going to say inexplicably, but have been tied together. Uh, intricately intertwined. Intricately intertwined. Yeah. Um, how have you, how have you, I mean, have those things intersected in, in positive ways and negative ways? How have that, how has that navigation been for you from that aspect? Uh, I'll be honest, is most of it has been, there hasn't been a lot, and some of it has not been positive. So, and for example, down here in Texas, um, I literally was in a small country church and was going around to shake hands for the, we do the sharing of the peace, and literally people would shake my hand, but they would shake my bishop's hand, and she's white. Um I've been told to my face, you weren't born in Texas. You're not from here. So you don't belong here. Hmm. Like, okay. And so I've also been. Because that's like, <laughs> that's like any Texan would say that to anyone, but it hurts. Right. Especially when you're like, all yep. right, that felt unnecessary. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And then um, been a lot of microaggressions. People come up to me. Where are you from? Well, I'm from. Texas, but I came from Arizona, but I was, grew up in Nebraska. No, where are you from? You know, mm-hmm, I knew mm-hmm. what they're getting at. Yeah. So, um, well, you're from yeah. green. Where are you from? Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, yeah. So those are to me are negative. The other thing that I say is negative about the institutional church, I call it institutional church is that we, I have been tokenized person of color, right. um, committees and, and the larger, you know, I've always want people of color and our denomination. I don't know how much you know about us, but, oh, we have to have 10% of people of color. That's a bunch of BS because you don't tokenize people in a Christian you know, institution. That's not, um, to me, Christianity, God loves everybody open to all, you know, whatever, welcoming, whatever you should not tokenize and, you know, don't make, you know, is that specifically like an ELCA kind of thing, or is that like broadly the Lutheran Church? My understanding is ELCA. Okay, the gotcha. 10%, but there's like the a affirmative action within within yeah. the the denomination. I know that's one of the goals that they say they want ten percent. I don't know to be you know I haven't really studied it that much in terms, but yeah, uh, the it's a whatever quote it is about. Sunday mornings being like 11 o'clock being the most segregated Mm. hour in the nation. You know, I, I really wrestle with that because like, I feel like a lot of white churches, maybe a fair amount of black churches too, will be like, Oh man, what a travesty. Cause we want the church to be global. But like, I also wrestle with like, 
but the church is at its best a safe space. So like, I don't know that you really do want to mix that. Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, you kind of need like your cultural enclaves and like your places to be safe and like wrestle with some things and try, you know, whatever. And yeah, the, <laughs> it's really funny to me in a sad, but like, ah, you guys doing your best about the affirmative action. We want 10% diversity. <laughs> Um, yeah, like that just says, that says so much in so little about where specific the ELCA Lutheran church is. And yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it is what it is. That It oh, is man. what it is. Um, and, and my whole thing is, is that I know for myself is that, um, I don't, that's the institutional piece, you know? And yeah. so that's the humanness piece of that. I don't, you know, attest to that and just don't agree with that piece of it. Um, I think we just need to be as welcoming as we can. And, and church is supposed to be a safe place, but I don't uh, attest to the institutional church. I am more about the openness and wherever you feel safe in communities of people, because that's what church is, is community of people. Um, it's not on a segregated 11 o'clock morning on Sunday morning, mm. come together for. <laughs> yes. Well, but as we know, oh, Nathan. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> All right, great. I was going to say, as we know, community is often formed around the table. And so we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to jump into a Korean snack and a virtual table. So here is that happening right now. Welcome back to the John Chi Show food portion, snack time, whatever else you want to call it. Well, oh, I don't know. What I forgot we're doing, doing camera there, stuff now. Uh, are we? No, it's not. No, no it's not, not this time. This one. Yeah. All right, cool. Patrick was just raising the roof, apparently, though. So if anyone wants No, that to was uh, firework. Raising oh. the roof. Firework hands. Okay. That is not raising, raising the roof. The roof. I looked, it was, no. it was raising, raising the, the roof, roof with some sort of like sparkly hands. Is what it looks I can't, like. I flare. can't not hear it. With flair. That's fine. <laughs> with some flair. Roof. Roof. Uh, but uh, we just had a great uh, interview with Darcy Middleset, and now we are going to eat a candy because I saw these and I was, um, I don't know, I was, I was. Intrigued by the yes. character. I was tricked by the character and the color. Tricked I like the character. I like the tricked. color of the package. Yellow, greenish, blue gradient. I don't know. It just it looks fun. And then I like sour candies. So the big words of sour on the front of it. Again, this is mostly in Korean writing, but the only thing that's in English is the word sour. So yeah, I don't no, know. The word open. The word open, open is on here twice. Sure. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually has open has open ever been in Korean on uh, a snack that we've had? I'm yeah, gonna go was, ahead on the last one. I'm gonna say was no. Was it really? I'm pretty what? sure. The last one, really? I have the box right here. I am would be surprised. <laughs> oh, he is not lying. He's not lying. It says, oh, really? Nice. Mm -hmm. Crushed it. All right. I don't well, know if you can say of, that, but one out of ninety-nine. Great so. podcasting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I don't know. It looks like a sour candy. It it looks like a lemon one. I don't know. It doesn't really. I can't really read the writing, but I, I'm assuming. Yeah, it's KJ, a sour what candy. does it say? That uh, says bakasa and then jelly and sour? shin shinmat, which I assume means sour taste. So yeah. bakas jelly shin. And the yeah. only reason I know bakasa is bakas is because Nathan already looked it up, and then <laughs> I googled it, and I was like, what? 
And then it's Bacchus, which is the what is it? The Roman the god, Roman of god of agriculture. agriculture. Yeah. So this is Bacchus then. Also I'm this character on the front. The Roman god of partying. Yeah. But I was well, very he, curious. Why would they be why would it be a Bacchus jelly sour? Like it doesn't make any sense. Well, this guy is definitely party partying. In the mouth. It's a party sour. He's got okay. two thumbs up. His eyes are squeezed closed. <laughs> and he is yelling in, in, in jubilation. So you know the emotion we're talking sour about. Then I hope it better be sour because I like sour candies. And this a costume just... that I can only describe as a child's Teletubby pullover without the TV. Like Look at hat. <laughs> He's got a little white hat on it. That's funny. Whoa! So the first Darcy, thing are that you I did notice: partial to sour candies. I like sour candies. All right, but Same. you know what? I don't think they were as sour as they could be. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, did you already have one? I ate. She, she snuck one I in. I ate one. Oh, interesting. I had to test. Uh, full disclosure for the listener at home, sh- I'm not oh, eating that. sorry. Oh, yeah, KJ does not have his snack. I don't know that was a is. strong smell come out of that bag. Is it a lemon it smell? <laughs> it's not a lemon. It's definitely a candy smell. Yeah. Sugar. So sugar. Uh, it's sugary. Um, there is a little lemon. There is lemon. Out of that. But I've had more sour flavor. I agree. This is not as sour. It's actually more sweet, mm-hmm. too. Interesting. Um, looks like a could be a cough drop, coated and <laughs> coated in sugar. Yeah. And sugar. I was expecting it to taste like a lemon drop. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It has some lemon um, flavor. It does have very little lemon flavor. This makes it says it also warhead. has vitamins B one, B two, and B six. It has yeah, vitamins. I, I, yeah, I saw yeah. that. I'm like, that was interesting. <laughs> We care about your people. That's not too bad. Well, yeah, no, I, I mean, gotta try another one. It's so not as artificial as is I it chewy? I guess it's a jelly, yeah. so it's be. chewy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it there. is. It's like gummies. Okay. I don't Sour know if I'm supposed to have more than two since it has vitamins in it, though. So <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds one. like it's mostly just a vitamin that's a little bit sour. Yeah, so like... Nathan said when he got tricked into buying this, this thing is tricking me into eating healthy. Vitamins. <laughs> it's a, a sour vitamin. Under the guise of yeah. candy. Yeah, a sour it's a vitamin. slightly sour vitamin. That's well, you're welcome. My kids eat uh, gummy vitamins all day long, and I always sneak one. So, yeah, I also eat gummy uh, vitamins. Oh, child at heart. Well, the no, the pills make they upset my stomach. So, whoa, uh, Patrick. Okay, Patrick okay? is joking. Don't we, cannot, choke. we cannot give you the Heimlich over the air. Sure. Sorry. Don't choke. I'm okay. He's okay, folks. Choke. He's good. He's okay. Wrong pipe. Choking yeah. on the sugar. What? He doesn't even, he's not even finished coughing and he popped another jelly in his mouth. <laughs> Maybe this one will, will help wash it down. <laughs> you gotta hit it down with more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, it's jelly, so it'll dissolve. It's dissolved now. Yeah, but it's all that yeah. sugar. Oh, I did about jump there. I'm all right. You are high. Well, goodness. Woo. That was scary. Oh, can't even talk no more. I, I like them. <coughs> They're good. Uh, oh, let's hop into ratings. Yeah, let's uh, do this. Oh, Darcy, what do you think me- on a scale from one to five Bacchuses? <laughs> I would say four. Four. Four out of five Bacchuses. Interesting. What? Okay. What about the sour? Like, how sour is it on a scale of one to five? Three. Yeah, I'd go three. 
So just like middle it, of the road. It's similar to a Sour Patch Kid. Yeah. But I would give yeah. it a two uh, on sour. Yeah. Okay. I'd say it's very similar to a Sour Patch Kid, but I'd say it's gummy like a gummy bear. Yeah. yeah. Sour Patch Kids are a little more hard, <clears throat> I feel. All right. Patrick, but I still like it. But yeah. Uh, and it's not too lemon where like my tongue hurts. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, right. oh, yeah. lemon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> although I'm not um, choking like Patrick is. Either I'm going to give it a three and a half. <laughs> I think I think it's a solid. I think it's a solid candy. I would like to try another flavor. I think a yeah. strawberry or maybe a watermelon or a blueberry. Uh, I'm going to give it a four on choking. Four on choking. Because you're still uh, alive, right? Yeah. yeah, still alive. Five on choking if I was dead, for yeah. sure. Yeah, it's a perfect score. Um, and then I really like the packaging. I think the aesthetic yeah. of this of this yeah. snack is very fun. So it, it I'm gonna give it in. that. It's cool. Yeah. I mean the guy's Jason? got a thumbs up. Yeah, I, I like it. Uh I'm good. I think uh I think that's a good rating. <laughs> I'm gonna go along with Darcy and give it a four. I would I would eat more of them, but I'm I'm restraining myself because it's got vitamins in it and I don't wanna <laughs> eat like like they're water soluble they go straight yeah, through your system. It, it did say yeah. it's water soluble i know those are specific things but it also says a thousand milligrams of something yeah that's it know. trying I to wonder, figure it out no, is that vitamin c i don't know mm. maybe You're i don't right. know if it has vitamin c in it too because no it does <laughs> have it listed on hello the everybody welcome to the vitamins. we read the nutrition portion <laughs> well you know normally on the nutritional facts you know down below it'll give the vitamins calcium iron things like that right yeah right. it doesn't list vitamin b or vitamin c in any of those but yet on the front it clearly states it's got b1 b2 and b6 and then some 100 milligrams of something but yet mm. it's not listed on the back of the english That's a thousand. So. Do you ever do the Google Translate or where you can like put your phone over and it translates mm-hmm. the Korean? Oh, yeah. I've tried that. It doesn't I did it work as well as I wanted to it. Doesn't, yeah, so it doesn't not, do it. Yeah. The greatest. Yep. Oh. Well, well, I don't get to give it a rating because I oh, didn't need yeah. it. <laughs> Unfortunately, KJ will have to wait. Whatever it was last time, I'm giving it a three. You will uh, have to make a TikTok uh, food no, portion well, makeup yeah, edition. Buy it. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. When you did that, right. though, I thought you were just going to put makeup on your face. I was like, how is this That's a food what everybody said. Everybody yeah. said that. <laughs> Tricked you. You fool. Um, right. I'll come up with a better name. So so I just did the Google thing. It says it says it's a sticky sealer. It was trying a to seal my throat sealer? up. For St- sure. Sticky sour st- sealer. Uh-huh. Interesting. Stealer, stealer. Sorry, sticky oh, sour stealer. That's what it says. Sticky sour stealer. Interesting. Huh. I wonder what it's stealing. Man, I, I like this on the back of my throat. That was not good. <laughs> Retroactive <laughs> rating change. Just kidding. <clears throat> oh, uh, so I did look up the one thousand milligram part too, and mine says taurine. Taurine. Yeah, that's what yeah. mine says. Taurine. Yeah, thousand milligrams of taurine, which is the same is. stuff that's in Red Bull. Whoa! Uh, right. Yeah. Huh. So now I have wings. <laughs> I Bacchus I mean, jelly. Does that mean I'm going to be up all night? I don't know. We'll see. We will see. Bacchus um, and taste jelly sour. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to try the different flavors. Are there different flavors? No, this is the only flavor oh. I saw. That's lame. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, Darcy, uh, really appreciate you giving us your time and sharing sure. so much of your story with us. Before we close it out, I did want to ask you one final question. Um, what do you have going on right now? What are you excited about? What's next in your journey specifically? Is it another trip back to Korea or what? Is there something specific that you're gearing up for you're really excited about? Uh, so, yeah, I am actually planning a trip back to Korea with a couple of my friends that were part of the uh, orphanage. I actually met one of them in person when I was in Arizona this summer. And so we hit it off. And it was just like we were almost like soul sisters, you know, from soul. Um, but it was she was. Um, <laughs> Can you hear the wordplay? <laughs> yeah. Get it? Um, she was. Um, her adoptive dad was a military out of Camp Casey. And so she didn't come from an agency. So she doesn't have a lot of paperwork and stuff. So she's really curious and wants to go back. And she's never been to Korea. So she wants to go back. And she wanted, um, she thought it'd be fun to go back as a group, you know, a small group of us who've been to Korea and, and um, then go back to the orphanage site. So I'm looking forward to that. So we're, we're hoping to do that sometime in the next probably couple of years, save up some money and, and just go on our own. That's well, awesome. that is very, very exciting. Uh, I myself am getting ready to go back to Korea for the first time since I was adopted in October. So that is with uh, uh, OKF. OKF. Yes, I just say you're going OKF to OKF. Trip. So I'm we jealous. will see how that goes. Um, I might have to reach out to you and uh, ask some questions before that happens. But if anybody else were to want to connect with you or potentially follow along on your journey, is there anywhere that they can find you or follow you at? Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Um, my first and last name, Darcy Middlestead. And then I'm on Instagram, uh, DJ Middlestead. And then um, email. DJ Darcy. Middlestead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and then my email, Middlestead at gmail.com. Perfect. Well, we will definitely link all of those in the show notes. KJ, if they want to find us, where can they find us at? They can find us at John G Show on all of the social media platforms are super matter except for TikTok, uh, which I don't know, maybe that'll change at some point. They continued. can send us an email to John G Show at justlikemedia.com. They can leave us a voicemail, 972-677-8867. They can hang out with us on our website, John G Show.com. Uh, if you want to support the show, that would be fantastic. Uh, there's lots of ways to do that. You can go to com slash support. Also, I am still looking for some artists to slide into my DMs to talk about a potential new shirt design. Some person has already reached out to me. I got to keep it a secret from my co-host, but I'm very excited about what I got in my brain hole. So hit me up personally at KJ Relke, wherever I want to be found, wherever I'm accepting DMs. I'd love to chat with you about it. <laughs> Nathan? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at nnowalk. <laughs> And you can find me on Instagram at Patrick in the world. You can also find me on TikTok now, I guess, at Patrick in the world as well. And you can find me on LinkedIn at Patrick Armstrong. I am the, Asian, the Asian one. one. I guess that's the running catch thing at the end of the. I'm going to cut I mean, that out. Um, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> anyways, Darcy, uh, again, thank you so, so much for sharing so much of your story. Very excited to see what happens on your next trip and to follow along with you there. And for everybody else, thanks again for tuning in for another week. Until next Wednesday, John Chi. We got We got the timing. That felt good to get the timing right. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs>